Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, everybody, we're back with another episode of the Squared Away podcast where we try to help you get squared away. And today we brought in uh, Sheila Carroll, which Sheila is a pediatric doctor is that correct yeah. mm -hmm. and what why don't you just i basically tell us what you do sheila tell us how you got into this this game we i listened to a few podcasts with you on and i'm super excited because we go so dorky deep into this nutrition and and fitness game that we uh it's great to have people on that can kind of you know bring the science behind it too well thanks for having me first of all um, I am a board certified pediatrician. I've been practicing clinical medicine for about 23 years now. Um, I'm also a certified board certified in obesity medicine. Um, I'm a life and weight coach as well. Um, my, my greatest qualification is I'm a mom. <laughs> that's my big, that's my claim to fame. Um, but I got into, so right now I have transitioned away from like traditional clinical medicine and I'm really working as a coach, uh, a life and weight coach to help parents of kids who are struggling with extra weight, carrying extra weight, help the parents number one, figure out what they want to do for their family, create the lifestyle that their family wants. So figure out what to do and then actually how to do it. Um, and so I work with the parents, which the trickle down effect is to benefit the, uh, the health and the well-being of the child. Yeah, it's, it seems like so much of what's happening with kids today comes from what they're learning in the household. So I want to get into that eventually. But first off, what, what got you interested? How'd you get into medicine? Well, I got into medicine. My dad is a doctor, is the honest truth. I was kind of at a crossroads after college. What should I do? I went to a liberal arts college and I, I played sports. So I think I kind of like 
you know, wasn't the greatest student in college that I could have been. I was more interested in um, athletics at that time. Um, but my dad is a doctor and he really said, you know, uh, you should consider med school and go and being a doctor because for him, he found so much uh, deep personal satisfaction in helping people. Um, and he said, it's just such a wonderful way to spend your life. Uh, he said that it's so awesome to be involved in the science and and the human factor too. So I followed his advice, went to med school. Um, he's an adult doctor. He is well. He's retired now. Um, but I became a pediatrician because I have always loved kids. I love helping kids. Um, and and I got into this. Um, I got into the coaching, I became introduced to coaching through my own weight loss journey. I was an overweight kid myself, and I've struggled with my weight, I would say my whole life up until the past few years. Um, I, I started being overweight when I was nine or 10, and up and down kind of, you know, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight. And, but it was always just on my mind, constantly as a it took up so much of my brain space for so many years of my life. Um, so when I got introduced to coaching a few years ago and I really figured out like, oh, this is like the missing piece of what we need, what I needed. And so if I needed it, other people must need it, you know, to really understand why I was eating what I was eating, why I was doing what I was doing. And also why I wasn't doing what I kind of really knew I wanted to be doing. So anyways, um, and I, and so to translate that into how to help kids, because I still feel so drawn to helping uh, kids, the, the coaching, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, but coaching is a, um, takes a lot of thinking and it's, you know, uses this meta skill of being able to think about your thinking. Now that's a pretty advanced skill for a child, especially like an eight, nine, 10 year old child, you know, but as you age, kids can do that, but it really requires the part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex, which we know is not fully developed in humans until their mid twenties. So asking a child to try to make sustainable changes by themselves is, well, it wasn't going very well. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't working. So I was talking to all of these kids and they they want to do the right things for themselves. And, you know, but when you're faced with like, even my son, who's 11, you know, he he's faced with, he, if he has a few dollars in his pocket and he's at the snack shack or whatever, he, he can't really think, oh, future Theo, you know, his name's Theo. Future Theo would be really happy if I chose water instead of this Gatorade or whatever. He's, menor he's just like, nope, I'm having the Gatorade. Of course I am, you know? And that's normal. That's normal for our kids. So as parents, we need to understand that and kind of, you know, take over some of that thinking for them. I remember watching, I, I, I can't remember what her name was, but she had a Ted talk about the prefrontal cortex and her whole thing with, with parents was just keep them alive till they're 25. <laughs> I took, I took that a step further and it was alive, no babies, no felonies till you're 25. Right. So at least no unchangeable, you know, decisions before 25 when your prefrontal cortex is, is finally developed. But I'll tell you, you know, everybody that listens to this knows my story, but you don't necessarily, I was extremely overweight. I, I went from, um, one summer living with my grandma and grandpa while my dad was working and my parents were separated. Um, and I went from, from slim jeans to Husky jeans and one, I just jumped right over the normal size jeans in one summer and, uh, and then struggle with my weight my entire life. And it's funny because we, we talk about males and their, their prefrontal cortex finally developing around 27. And that's when I got my shit together. 27 mm -hmm. is, is legitimately when I started and I went from, you know, 265 pounds in the size 42 pants down to, you know, uh, 200 pounds with a lot more muscle, 210 pounds, with a lot more muscle and, you know, size 34 pants. So, wow. um, 
but for me, you know, then looking back, it had nothing to do with the health implications. But now when I look at it, just the long, the longevity and the health with, with everything that's happening, um, with my family and everything, that's, that's now what's more important to me than any of it. Um, but I can't imagine, um, trying to make the changes that I made at 27 at 12 or 10. Yeah. So how, how do you, you how do you, yeah. How do you help? How do you help these parents? Like, what do you go through with these parents to actually try to make some significant changes in these kids' lives? Um, so first of all, I think what, exactly what you're saying, focusing on the health aspect of things and not the weight, you know, the weight is kind of just a marker of some lifestyle habits that could be improved, especially for kids, you know, kids gain weight because of mainly because of the food choices that they're making. Um, not yeah. Yeah. So, um, I help parents, I work individually with parents. So we figure out what is going on and you know, what, what their lifestyle actually is and what could be the problems. It just depends on the age of the child too. So if you're young, if you're parents of a younger child, a school age child, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a different approach than if you're the parent of a teenager, but basically try to, my approach is with the parents, provide them some education, nutritional education, you know, as you guys probably already know, the whole calories in, calories out, move more, eat less, like that doesn't work very well for anybody. And that's kind of the reason we're having the problem that we're having in, in well, all over the world today. Um, because we've told people, and honestly, that's the medical training. That's the training I got. Um, and that's a, that's the training a lot of doctors are still getting. So there's a whole subset of doctor, a whole different group of doctors that are, are trying to change that. Um, but even amongst all the doctors, there's different opinions about what, why people gain weight and, you know, the, the, the science of weight loss. So for me, what worked for me and what I see working for my clients and their families and my patients is the horm understanding the hormonal response to certain foods. And so what's happening to our kids today is there's the processed food world that we're living in, this environment that we're all swimming in has so many foods with added sugars, not to mention all the other chemicals and additives and things like that. But, um, and the added sugar is what's causing the insulin to go up. Um, and insulin is a fat storage hormone. So that is, you know, insulin, having high insulin levels is what's driving weight gain today in most kids, in my opinion. Um, so what parents can do, uh, and kids can do if they learn that. So there's a couple of things. It's kind of like understanding why we love sugar, you know, instead of just saying we shouldn't eat that we sh it's bad for us you know or but if we really can understand and help our kids understand that the human body evolved over the millions and millions of years we've evolved in part because we love sugar you know we found sweet things you know it used to be berries or uh, you know fruit that would just be in season when people were um hundreds of years ago and so our brain our brains are wired to understand that that's good for us that helps keep you alive um but what's happening today is that sugar has been so concentrated and so like uh intensified our bodies have not kept up evolutionarily with how to process that much sugar so you know parents i think that that's an educational thing that a lot of parents kind of find eye opening and then when you really do a little bit of uh, understanding of how much sugar your child's actually eating every day or how much sugar you're actually eating i would start with yourself first you know and you know if you're over 2 years old the recommendation is to have 24 grams of sugar a day um which adds up pretty quickly if you're you know if you're, you know, like my son, you know, sometimes gets school breakfast or school lunch, he came home with a teeniest little package of 
dried cranberries that had 26 grams of added sugar in that tiny little package. So more than a whole day's worth of added sugar in one thing. But it's in ketchup, spaghetti sauce, barbecue sauce. It's it, Added sugar is everywhere. So work with, I work with them <laughs> back to answering your question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I work with the parents to, you know, kind of get the education that you need and the understanding of why we love these things. Cause I think that helps bring some compassion to your child. Of course he loves, I just say to myself all the time, of course, my son wants to drink that or eat that. Of course, you know, and, and, um, and then, work with the parents to figure out what lifestyle, because it's more than just food. It's about how much we sleep. It's about movement. And it's also about for kids and parents, but you know, emotional wellness, emotional regulation, learning to uh, tolerate or, you know, uh, negative feelings and, you know, avoid emotional eating, things like that. So we work on all, all of the things that, you know, once the parents learn all of those things, then they can, over time, as their child developmentally ages, you know, gets older and older, they'll be introduced, they'll be like dripping content, adding, you know, just teaching them these things that the child can step into. Because what our goal is eventually is to have the child be intrinsically motivated. Oh, I want to I want to go out and move my body every day. I want to go to bed on time. I want to eat healthy food because I feel good. I feel good in my body doing that. So that's the goal is to kind of like parents get the parents so on board that their that their child is motivated when the time comes, you know, their child is motivated by intri- intrinsically not just you have to eat that, you can't eat that, you know. Yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Because I needed that myself. I wasn't, you know, uh, until a few years ago, I, I needed coaching. I still need coaching. I love coaching is so, you know, powerful for everybody, but yes, you know, parents need the coaching and the support and the skills. Um, We all do. We all, and because what we're talking about is a way of approaching nutrition and approaching your all these healthy habits um in a in a little bit of a different way than kind of we're you know than we're used to instead of just you should do that you know you're supposed to do that this is the recommendation and this is what us doctors do all the time here's what i'm telling you to do go you know walk 30 minutes a day okay well then how does my patient say if I have an adult patient, how does my patient actually get themselves to do that when they haven't done that before? They're just not going to be like, oh, you know, having your doctor tell you to do something, it's not that inspiring for that long. You know what I mean? Like that, this is why it's really not working. But when you spend time, if, if that patient had coaching and spent time like, all right, well, let's look at why aren't you walking in the first place? You know, what thoughts are you having? that are, you know, creating the feeling that's ambivalent about walking or even negative about walking. And so you're not walking, you know? So that's what's so powerful because we can change our thoughts about things. So, but you need to understand that you have to first become aware of what you're thinking that's creating your current result. I think, go ahead, Mark. Well, mainly because medicine's really changing right now. Um, and I, after 23 years, I was feeling a little stagnant and uh, personally stagnant and a little bit stuck. Um, I also, you know, in the, in the three or four years before leaving, I became so like, Uh, I got introduced to the coaching and I'm like, oh, this is what people need. I feel like this is, you know, this is what's so powerful because I think this can help not just with weight, but with so many 
so many things in our lives. So while I was getting a little bit, um, you know, no, I wouldn't say bored, but, you know, kind of 23 years of doing the same thing. Um, and then I became excited about this. Um, and so it just was like a transition, you know, my interest was fading in one thing and, and improving in the other things, so to speak. So this leads into another question is, uh, so what do you think about the, what's going on right now where they're trying to say, well, BC is a disease and they want to yeah. treat it as a disease? Yeah, I know. That is such an interesting, um, I, I just became certified in, uh, well, last year, uh, in obesity medicine. And that is kind of the science or yeah, the science of obesity medicine, but from the medical, from the people who are running that test or running, you know, kind of offering that certificate. It is, it is through, um, it's called the American board of obesity medicine. It's science. It's, um, nutrition, it's medications, and it's surgery. So, and they say um, obesity is a disease. And I went to a pediatric um, surgical, a bariatric, bariatric surgeries is, are the, um, the weight loss surgeries, a gastric sleeve, or there are several other weight loss surgeries, um, which now they're offering to kids as young as 13 years old. Um, so that's a big, that's a big change. Um, but I went to this conference and one of the doctors said, obesity is a disease that has no cure. And I was like, what? <laughs> because I just, I understand. So part of naming it a disease is to get more funding. So it's very political, you know, and I don't even understand all of that kind of thing. But if you can get something named a disease, you can get more money to either study it or whatever, you know. I think another intention of naming it a disease is it takes a little bit of the shame and burden off of people who are carrying extra weight or are suffering with obesity. Oh, it's a disease. It's not my fault, you know, which I, I think is such a great idea because it's not – it you know, yes, there's personal responsibility, but you know, the thing that happens is once you start gaining weight, we used, or I used to think, you know, but now I realize your, your adipose tissue or your, your fat, it's metabolically active. So it's not just fat that sits there on your body. It's actually sending signals to your brain and, and making you hungrier. So in that respect, it, 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 you know, once you start gaining, your body wants to gain more. And so you could look at it like, well, that's kind of a disease. Um, but the honest truth is, I don't know what to think of that whole obesity as a disease. Um, I don't know exactly. You know, I'm not sure that's helping us. I don't, I don't know. You know, yeah, it's so nobody knows. It's genetics. It's lifestyle. It's, you know, we know too, like, for example, prenatally, there's something called epigenetics, which is, you know, um, the gene, the gene expression, not the actual DNA, but the, how your genes are expressed in a, as a, as a baby and a child, as a, and an adult is affected by the conditions in which you were living when you were in utero. So the pregnant yeah. woman, you know, that how how she was eating or not eating. For example, there's a study called the Dutch Hunger Study, which was around World War II. Um, and when the people in the Netherlands were, I think, blockaded from food. So there were a lot of women who were pregnant, but were undernourished, starving, really, in the first 12 weeks of their pregnancy. So they tracked they tracked those babies. Those babies went on to be, uh, a lot of those babies went on to be overweight in a, in more, a higher proportion than normal. Um, and th what they're saying is those babies or those babies that then became adults um, were more predisposed to be overweight because of genes that got turned on 
when they were 12, when the mom was 12 weeks pregnant because she got no food. So the baby's brain was like, oh, we need to really, you know, beef up our fat storage game, so to speak. <laughs> and that and that contributed to easy weight gain for them for the rest of their lives. So I think obesity is so complicated um, and that we don't exactly know, you know. The other thing is some people are, you know, for example, me, I'm one of five kids. I was overweight as a kid, but not every kid in my family was overweight and we were all eating the same things and we all have the same parents, you know. I think I used food for emotional reasons at times, you know, very sensitive. I was labeled as a sensitive kid. Um, and my, you know, my sister wouldn't do that. And so it's just, it's complicated. What I will interject with my base of knowledge as far as obesity being a disease is metabolic disorders, definitely a disease. Yes. And one of the things that we fail to understand is is the insulin factor and its speed in which it is excreted to deal with different types of carbohydrates. And the way that I like to explain it to people is by comparing fire because really that's fire is, is releasing energy from an organic matter, right? We're releasing the energy from a piece of paper or we're releasing the energy from a piece of wood. And if you considered processed carbohydrates, just like processed wood, because we process wood into paper, we process wood into cardboard, right? So if you compare a processed carbohydrate to a piece of cardboard and you burn a piece of cardboard, that energy is pulled out of that piece of cardboard with fire extremely fast and it's hot and it burns very quickly and that energy is just excreted into the air. Now, if you're trying to do the same amount of energy, if you're trying to release that out of a non-processed piece of wood or just a piece of firewood, that wood will burn slow, it'll burn long, and that heat will not be as intense, but it'll be a much longer, more um, useful heat. Now, if you compare that to how our body is dealing with a processed carbohydrate versus a natural carbohydrate, so just the same, the same 30 grams of carbohydrate in white bread or the same 30 grams of carbohydrate in an apple or two apples or whatever it takes to equal out 30 grams of carbohydrates. When, we, when our body goes to pull that, that sugar, which is the energy source in carbohydrates out of that um, that, that process white bread, it is going to spike our energy systems and our body is extremely efficient and it doesn't want to waste any of that energy. So it's, it goes to store it and it stores it very quickly. And the way that our body stores energy is as fat. Now that 30 grams of carbohydrates is let's say an arbitrary half hour is, is how long it takes our body to get it out. And that, that's not scientific in, in that number at, at all. But it, it, let's say it takes a half an hour to get that, that 30 carbohydrates, that, that, that energy out of that piece of bread. And it is not going to use that amount of energy in that time. It is going to spike the insulin up in our system. And our body is going to be like, okay, we're going to use some of this for activity, but the rest of it we're going to store. And this happens continuously versus that apple. Let's say that apple takes two hours to get that same 30 grams worth of carbohydrates or energy out of that apple because it has to process every individual cell to get the glucose out of it. And it has to deal with the fiber. The fiber slows down the digestion and everything, everything is slower. And that's like that piece of wood. And that piece of wood is going to release that energy or that apple is going to release that energy much slower. So our body has to excrete less energy insulin spikes and more of a long drawn out insulin curve. And that is the difference in how a processed carbohydrate works versus a natural carbohydrate. Now, if you take a child who has been eating processed carbohydrates for 15 years, not only do they spike insulin, the, all of their tissues have been become insulin resistant because they have elevated this insulin for so long over so many years that they don't take an arbitrary 10 units of insulin to deal with the same 30 grams of carbohydrates that, you know, Joe does, who, who, who hasn't processed his food, they take 30 units of insulin to process these same carbohydrates. And when that happens, we're storing even more. So that is what metabolic disorder is, is your body is actually processing all of the food different than somebody that has not basically damaged their metabolism. So I would say that part of obesity is a disease. But 
where we need to then take the next step past that is while it is a disease, you are still personally responsible to do the best with what you have. If you're, if you're four foot five, you can't say, well, I can't reach the stuff on the top shelf. So I'm never going to get anything off the top shelf. You fix the fucking problem and you figure out how to get stuff off the top shelf. You get a, you get a step ladder. Like, yes, you are at a disadvantage. Yes. If we want to call it a disease, it's a de- disease. But then the next step is, well, you're going to have to work a little different for what you want. And that is where we, that's where our society today completely loses that we're like oh, everything. And, th- and this happens with intelligence. This happens with skin color. This happens with sex. This happens with, with physical health. We're like, yes, it's a disease. Yes. You are, you know, you were born in, into this, this poverty area. Yes. This happened to you. And then we just stop. We never take that next step and go, but it's also your responsibility to try to get yourself out of that situation. I agree. Like, you know, yes, for sure. And that's the few, I mean, that's the power you, then you realize, you know, you realize like, okay, this is, I do. I know you've read books by Gary Tobes, um, or Tobes. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I always say Taubes. I don't know. Yeah. Great books, but I love his little phrase of, um, happen to be a person who gains easily, you know, those of us who gain weight easily, that's a phrase he uses in several of his books. And I love that because exactly what you're saying, if you realize you are a person who happens to gain easily, you don't just, you don't have to just roll over and let that happen. You can just, okay, this is, I'm five one, you know, personally, like there's nothing I can do about that. Okay. What am I, what else, what do I, how can I, you know, Um, move on from or you know incorporate that into my life and keep going um and so i happen to be a person who gains easily okay so what now what can i do so if i don't want to be carrying extra weight what do i what can i do and and take action from there and another another thought after that is is i even like to think of myself as i have an extremely sensitive gauge system. And if I am being unhealthy, my body is going to tell me very quickly that I'm being unhealthy, which I would much rather have than a very faulty gauge system, like somebody who can eat whatever they want, whenever they want, give themselves arthrosclerosis or coronary artery artery disease, elevate all of their hormones to a point that they're increasing their risk for cancer and all of these blood pressure issues and everything, but then they never see it on the outside. Because they're not overweight, right? Because they're not overweight. So I say that all the time, you know, and I'm saying that in my little community where we live, you know, just because your child isn't overweight, it doesn't matter. They still shouldn't be drinking all of Gatorade or, you know, all of these things. They may not be overweight, but metabolically, these foods are not good for them. And that, that's a... That's a difficult message, I think, for parents who, who's, who, when they look at their child, their child looks fine, you know, but there's a thing called TOFI, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And what they mean by that is like, you're not storing subcutaneous fat, like the fat that you can pinch an inch or whatever, you know, you're, you might be storing fat viscerally. So in your organs. Um, for example, that's what fatty liver is. And, and that happens to thinner kids because of the food choices that they're having making. Yeah. Now, when I talked to you earlier this week, I mentioned the, the Dorito effect. Have you ever, have you ever read that book? I have to read that. I haven't. Okay. So, and this one, I, I have a, after, after reading this book, I haven't, I have a theory about one of the reasons that we consume or we're driven to consume so much processed food, right? Because our evolution has made our bodies extremely intelligent. And we think that our bodies are so dumb, but our bodies are so extremely intelligent. And the Dorito effect talks about the effect of adding flavor to food without adding micronutrients Mm -hmm. and minerals and all of the stuff that comes in nature along with flavor. So Mm -hmm. if you have a bland, not ripe strawberry, that strawberry has much less nutrition in it than a bright red ripe 
beautiful, gorgeous, organic strawberry. That strawberry has, and and we only know a certain amount of micronutrients that 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 we can put letters on, right? Vitamin E, K two, all of these vitamins. We only know a certain. There's, they're discovering new new vitamins every day, and so what this book goes into is how our bodies are drawn subconsciously to what we eat. And they went in and they, they talk about a study where they went into an orphanage in, I, I think, Africa, and they tested all these kids for malnourishments. And basically, they're in, a, they're in an orphanage in, in Africa. They all have malnourishments. And so they document all these kids' malnourishments. And then they, they basically build a, a, an open buffet of all these very odd foods that would be very, very heavy in one specific micronutrient, whether it be zinc or K2 or D or all these different nutrients. And they watched, they just watched these kids and, and, and wrote down what they, what they kind of, what they veered towards. And what happened is, is these kids would initially, (coughs) excuse me, start to pick at all the foods until their brains learned what foods were so um, rich in whatever their micronutrient deficiency they had was. And then they would gorge on that food until assumably their micronutrient deficiency was, was solved. And then they would kind of just go back to picking. And so our, what I, what I wanted to get out there is, 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 is our brain is so, so intelligent with what it needs Mm. But it doesn't necessarily talk to us and say, hey, I need Mm. vitamin D, right? It just makes us subconsciously draw towards food. Now, we go then and we eat a Dorito or a Cheeto or whatever you want to, whatever, insert any processed food you love, right? And we we get 300 calories and no or very little nutrition, and then our body says, all right, I I understand that was food, but I didn't get enough of the nutrition. Give me more. And I understand that was food, but I didn't get enough of the nutrition. Give me more. Mm -hmm. And so we're drawn to eat a thousand or 1500 calories in one sitting of this processed food. And I don't care if it's a Dorito or it's your, or if it's your fucking keto ice cream that you, you know, is 900 calories in a tub that you think is healthy. And I ate one of those this week. So that's why I (laughs) thought about that. Um, But You are like, if you sat down and tried to eat a thousand calories of any non-processed food, good luck. Yeah. Good luck sitting down trying to eat a thousand calories of a sweet potato. It's not going to happen. Your body is going to get to a certain level and it just goes, you're done. You're done. What are you doing? Yeah. And so we have this, we have this drive that, and and the kids have it, especially like we have the kind of self-control where we can say, well, sometimes we have enough self-control. That we can say, oh, I'm not going to eat any more of that. But if if these little kids without the prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. that don't necessarily have the have the self control are able to just gorge on this mm-hmm. non nutritional, calorically dense processed food, their body is telling them more, 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 more. And how do we expect them if if that's all that they know, or that's all they have in front of them, or even that's the possibility for them? How do we expect them to to make a di- the better choice? Yeah, we can't. I mean, this is this is the whole thing. We can't expect them to even understand that. So how do you But parents How do you fix How do you fix that? Yeah. So it has to come from your parents or your grandparents or who's ever taken care of you. Um, you know, I think it could also come from teacher. It it has to come from the adults. And as a society, you know, we have to start valuing our health in a different over the money cause, you know, created by, you know, sometimes I say to my son, like, why does Coca-Cola even exist? Why do we even allow Coca-Cola to exist? It's so damaging for people. And it, it doesn't add a single thing. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a product to make money. Um, but the harm it's creating is real um, all over the world. Um, so the way what you're talking about is the kids can't do it themselves. They can't possibly understand that that's complex and, but adults can understand it. And so then adults need to learn that, be open to that. Um, We need to talk about it more. This is a thing like so many people, so many 
I don't think I really understood until, you know, even as a doctor until 10 or so years ago, like how the problems of processed foods, you know, I think sometimes the thought is like, well, it's easy. It, if they're selling it, it must be okay. You know? And so I think it's, it's just, there's so much going on in people's lives and people are so busy. And if they're not having a problem right there in that moment, it's one thing that slips a little bit. I think it can, um, but trying to bring it to the forefront of people's attention as a preventative health too. Yeah, like this is what we want for our kids. We don't ever want you to become metab so metabolically sick that you, you know, that you're having trouble. We want to start to prevent that problem now. Um, so I, that's why, you know, I think working with the parents is so powerful and the only way to help the kids. Have you seen any of the studies that have shown that um, self-control is finite? Well, if I put myself in a study of N of one, then yeah, self <laughs> you know, people say willpower is a muscle that fatigues pretty easily. So it's really, you know, yeah, it depends on, um, are you tired? Are you, you know what I mean? Uh, your mood, what else is going on in your life? Are you dehydrated? Like your willpower, just trying to white knuckle through a diet or white knuckle your way to a sustainable change is not not going to be successful for you. So I think, I think the way that they, the way that they tested this, if I remember right, they had um, two groups of people that they came in and one of them had this super simple, arbitrary like test that they had them do where it was like, you know, what color is this? It's blue. Right. And they went through this hundred questions. It was all really simple. And then they had afterwards is where the actual study was going on while they were asking them about the, the, the test, there was like snacks out on the table. And there was like donuts, cookies, and then fruit and vegetables, right? And they they actually, you know, m measured the amount of the processed um, high carbohydrate food that that group chose over the natural foods. And then they had another group that they had, it was a very, it was a very hard, like very mind um intrusive or inclusive test, right? hundred questions of, of like, you know, algorithms and all this type of stuff that really used your mind in, in, a, in a very, uh, a very difficult way. And they consume drastically more, um, calories post, you know, that, and it was, it was all processed calories or a lot more processed calories. So then if we, if we think about that and we're like, well, what should I have for breakfast? I could have these donuts on the counter, or I could have, you know, this oatmeal, and then that's a choice. Right. And then like, I'm going to stop at the gas station and I, I don't have any food in my lunch bag. So I'm going to have to, you know, go in and buy something. Am I going to go in and buy the, you know, the pre-made cheeseburger and fries, or am I going to go in and buy, you know, a yogurt and a, and a wrap or whatever, right? Like all of these times, every time we have to make these decisions, it becomes less likely that we're going to make a good decision. So like, I know we talk about on here all the time and I, and I say, I have to like engineer my decision-making out of it. Like exactly plan in advance. That's what I, t I teach parents too. And I, I do for myself because exactly what you're talking about. If you plan what you're going to have for dinner, for example, or, you know, or pack for your child's lunch or pack for your child's snacks, there's no decision when the time comes you know, oh, I've planned, let me look at my list. Oh, I planned we're having what, you know, chicken kebabs or whatever. So here's the thing. This is the trick though. When the time comes and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to have grilled chicken. Your brain is probably going to be like, you know, take out pizza or, you know, and, and just being like, oh, I hear you brain. I hear what you're offering me, but I already made this decision. I honor my own decisions. I have my own back and I, I want the results of having the chick, the chicken, you know, thanks for the, thanks for the offer or thanks for the suggestion to have this other food. And that's normal. So this is what our brains, this is what we're, this is what we're contending with. Our human brains just trying to keep us alive. They're doing anything they can to keep us safe, keep us, you know, happy, <laughs> you know, the motivational triad. What do they say? Like, uh, Avoid, seek pleasure, avoid pain, and exert as little effort as possible. That's what these brains of ours are trying to do. And in this modern food environment, that's why the suggestion is always, oh, you should, you should eat that. 
you should, oh, you have chips in your, in your, whatever, you know, we have to learn to realize, oh, that's normal for our human brains. Our human bodies didn't evolve. Even 50 years ago, you know, we didn't have the food choices available then that we have now. And when we just listen to our brains unconsciously and do what they tell us to do, we're, we're having a problem. This is the problem we're in. I'm curious after just, just thinking about what you just want, uh, the dopamine connection, right? Because we're so, we're so overly dopamine dominated in our current society. And we see it with like teenage kids, especially teenage girls like vaping and dopamine is, is so lit up by processed foods. I'm curious Mm -hmm. as to what the long-term effects of our even more and more and more dopaminergic society is going to do. Yeah, I think we're about to find that out over time. You know, I don't think, you know, we, what you're saying is, you know, going back to your, your story, when you were saying you find a berry, you know, if you have a strawberry, that does give you some dopamine, that gives you a little bit of dopamine. So you have like a berry sized effect dopamine, you know, you have a handful of Doritos, that gives you a bigger dopamine release. So your brain is learning like, oh, Doritos are, you know, kind of better for me in a way. Um, So dopamine's involved in pleasure, gives us the pleasure, but also it's involved in the learning pathway. So when when your brain is releasing dopamine in high levels, you're learning like, oh, that's good for you, even though it's really bad for you, you know, physically and metabolically. So that's the interrupt. That's what people need to be aware of and understand about their bodies and the human body and how it is in 2023 compared to, you know, how it used to be. And dopamine is such a comparative hormone. If you're constantly at a 10, then that 10 becomes your normalcy. And if you're not at a 12, you're not feeling elevated or not feeling better than you were at a 10 versus if you're constantly living at a two and you have that berry that gives you, you know, five, Mm -hmm. that feels great. But if you're at a 10 all the time because of social media and everything else, and then you're like, the berry is like, eh. Yeah, exactly. And this is why kids thinks, you know, well, this is, this is for me, like why kids, a lot of kids, I think, don't think fruits and vegetables taste good. They're like, we don't like, we don't like that. He won't eat that. He doesn't like that. And I'm like, well, he doesn't like that because he's comparing it to what he expects, you know, or what he's been used, he's what he's used to eating. So his brain is not offering him that same reward for eating an apple as it is for eating the other foods. And kids interpret that as I don't like it. But if you, you know, if you, you know, just dropped someone on a desert island with only whole unprocessed foods, they would learn to eat those and enjoy them. So the trick is how do we, how do we kind of dial down the processed foods and dial up the unprocessed foods um, and get kids on board with that? And it's just a constant, you know, education process for the parents to educate their child. You know, this is what I'm constantly doing with my son. You know, and do you deal with preparation with the families at all with food preparation? Like, are you, are, I mean, I, like, are you a great cook? Oh, well, I don't want to brag, but I do love to cook. I, you know, and I'm lucky I have time, you know, to cook. Um, and although I make the time for it, it's sometimes I would be like, you know what I hate is cleaning up. Like I, I, if I could have someone clean up for me, then I would be, you know, but, um, I, I, yeah. And I think with very little minimal training, people could become mm-hmm. eat good cooks, you know? And so if a mom says to me, like, I'm just not a good cook, you know, I, I'm terrible. Then we just actually work on that thought. Like, well, why do you think you're a bad cook? And, you know, you're just believing that about yourself. How about changing that thought? Like, I could be a good cook or I want to be a good cook or I'm going to work on being a good cook, you know? So it just doesn't have to be the end of the road. Like I'm a bad cook or I don't like cooking. You know, the thing is like, if you think it's important enough, would you be willing to spend the time and the energy to, you know, put into that to get the result that you want? 
So what are your, like your uh, guidelines for eating out then? So if you don't feel like cooking, it's a weekend. And then, you know, I got 11 year old too. So you're going to go out and you're going to be bombarded by all these restaurants. Yeah. And so I am at a place for myself where I know what I, you know, I know what I want to eat when I go out. Or if I sometimes I don't even eat that much. If I, I could just eat at home and have a salad or if we're going out, I, for myself, I never feel deprived that I can't have pizza. I don't, I, I don't even want to eat that, you know? So, but for my son, it's different. And what I've, what I have chosen to do is I don't want to control and micromanage every little aspect of his life uh, in, in that regard. So, um, you know, I, I came across this phrase one time, we do what we do most of the time so we can go with the flow some of the time so what that means to me is like mostly at home we're eating really well or what i consider really well and then if he goes out um he can eat what he wants you know and i'm hoping over time he's going to be choosing you know healthier foods and um but i i i think we just have to educate and live with it when you're when your kids are younger that you can make food choices for them um and then as they get older it's a little more challenging at times um, he went to chick-fil-a last night with a bunch of friends so that was <laughs> the big the baked nuggets at chick-fil-a are yeah, awesome the baked nuggets are good yeah. they're really good well, it's so funny up here in maine we just got chick-fil-a like a year ago oh really we never even had it here so, or maybe we had one, but it was three, you know, three hours away from us. Um, and so it's kind of a newish thing. Um, but yeah, so he came home and he's like, I had a shake and fries. I was like, waffle fries. Yeah, yeah waffle fries. Exactly. Ooh. And he goes, it was so good. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> You can't lie. I mean, it's not, he's not lying. No, That's he's delicious. not lying. And it's okay. And it's yeah. okay. And he's 11. Yeah. And he is on his own journey. I think that is helpful. You know, for us parents, our kids are on their own journey. And so, you know, as he, I think, you know, he's spent enough time with me now that he knows, like, you know, his his choices give him a certain result, you know, even like with school, you choose not to do your homework. Okay. We'll find out what happens. You'll find out what happens tomorrow at school with your teacher. Um, but that's, you only circle that back to what choice you made. So I'm trying to, you know, circle. The other thing I think that's super helpful for parents to try to do is to get our kids um, tied into their bodies so like how do you feel he came home at like nine something last night so we didn't really have time to do this but you know how do you how does your body physically feel after having a shake a chick-fil-a sandwich and and chick-fil-a fries like so that i think is super important like do you feel i know it tasted good but that's different than how your body actually feels and so I think that that's really a powerful thing too. Like, how do you, can you notice any, you know, negative feeling or any not feeling that great after eating something like that? And if you start to pay attention to that, I think you, we can help our kids tune into their body signals. And our kids pick up so much more than we even really recognize. Like I know I have, a, I have a 19 year old and as she was, you know, growing up and I went through this journey as she, as she was growing up and, you know, she would, she doesn't necessarily act like she picked up any of it, but then you'll hear her, you know, especially in her early teens, you'll, you'll overhear her telling someone stuff that you told her and you're like, Oh, you did actually realize what I said. Um, could you share, just, you know, give us some of your success stories, just share a few success stories with us. Oh, sure. I've had, oh, so many wonderful, um, clients that have changed themselves. They're changed how they're approaching, you know, their child. Um, and honestly, like what I consider a huge success is the parent changing how they're feeling. And, and, you know, us parents, if you have a child with overweight, 
you're worried usually. You're not feeling, you're stressed, you have all the feelings, maybe guilt, maybe shame, maybe, you know. So we work on that so then parents feel better. They can release some of that guilt, they can release some of that worry and start approaching their child from a, you know, clean space would be the coaching term, but from a like a, um, you know, a more, a, a more self-compassionate uh, approach. So I consider that a huge win because exactly what you just said, because when the parent is coming to the child from a place of, I accept you, I love you just as you are, I don't, I'm not trying to get you to change and lose weight so that you'll be better or more valuable or anything. And the parent accepts the child, the child can feel that and see that. And honestly, it makes it easier for the child to change. So I've seen that in so many of my clients and I, I love that. That's like a personal win for me. But I also like, you know, families just change and they're like, oh, my child has, we've stopped bringing soda home. We've stopped doing this and my child's growing and he's lengthening out and he's, you know, I really don't focus on weight. So we don't, you know, you know, we don't talk about, oh, he's lost five pounds. You know, we kind of just, I don't like to focus on weight, but just help. Oh, we're feeling better. He's moving around better. He's more willing to go out. His mood is better. You know, she's happier. She's, you know, it's just um, the success is really um, the parent-child bond and the parent-child uh, relationship is improved. Um, the parent feels better. And ultimately that trickles down to the child feeling better. Do you have any... That's the best way to put this. Do you have any issues with the stigmatization of obesity and approaching kids without affecting their self-esteem? Because it's already in, in an overweight child, it's already so ice thin, yeah. likely. And it's something that sometimes paralyzes parents because they don't know how to talk about it and they worry about your child. You know, we worry about our kids' self-esteem. So a couple things, you know, one thing is, well, first of all, if you don't, if you don't ever approach the topic, then nothing is going to change, right? So they're, they're, the parent needs to be willing to do some work on that themselves first and then if and when you ever decide to have an open discussion with your child about it, you can just completely leave weight out of that discussion and talk about health. Like I don't talk about weight with my son. I talk about our health and our metabolic health and our little blood vessels and our liver, you know, that kind of thing. And then it's not shameful. Everybody's got a liver. Everybody needs to protect their liver, liver you know. And so if we can drop the 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 weight and the appearance thing and get that out. We're not doing this so that we look better. We're not doing this so we fit into a smaller size. We're doing it because we only have one body that needs to last. You know, my, my dad is actually 90 now. He's, he's just, he's, uh, he's 90 and a half. Um, and so I say to my son, like, you know, you are going to be as old as Papa or older someday, you know, and you, this is the one body that you have. And we, you know, we need to start protecting that right now. Um, and we don't even talk about weight. And I think that helps with the stigma because there's still so much overweight kids feel so bad. You get that message. It's still so prevalent books, you know, uh, movies and, you know, the other, you know, yeah. And if parents can just uh, avoid, avoid adding to that in any way, I think that helps their child so much. I think what you, that, what you said right there about health over anything appearance related is the, is by far the most important thing. And right when you said that the light just dinged on in my head, like, oh yeah, if you go about it that way, you're not, you're not putting anyone on trial. You're not attacking anyone. There's nothing else going on there. We literally, we, 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 we want to be better. Just like you want to get smarter and you want to get faster and you want to, you know, grow in your life. We also want to get healthier. We do it for our kids and so many other things. Like, you know, we 
do it for alcohol. You know, we do, we do, we do it for, well, I'm not letting you drink because I don't think it's good for you. I don't want you to smoke because it's not healthy for you. You know, I don't want you to eat this kind of food because it's not good for your body, you know? And so we do it in so many other things. And if we just take that mindset of let's approach this as a family, not, oh, you have a problem and we're going to, you work on, you need, we need to work on your problem. No, we have a problem. And you don't even have to couch it as a problem. We, oh, I learned new information. I just learned that we should be eating this kind of food or more of this kind of food and less of this. We should be moving more. We should be sleeping more, you know, and approaching it as a family is the best way for your child's mental health to stay intact during this whole thing. I think if somebody, if somebody goes out of their way to reach out to you and, and, you know, the hundreds of other people out there that are, they're trying to do, do some growth in this space. Um, they're already leaps and bounds in front of the average, you know, the average person dealing with this. Um, but I think there's a big, big portion of our population that has the fixed mindset. Are you familiar with Carol Dweck? Yeah, and for sure. And fixed mindset? Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's, that's where like, that's where things like this podcast come in and, and you being on here and hopefully the, you know, the, 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 the multitude of people that, that listen to this. And maybe if they don't, you know, have this issue, they don't, might not even have kids, but they, they definitely know somebody that does and they're able to, able to send this out and just, Hey, listen to this, you know, just, 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 and, and maybe that sparks a little bit of ignition in that, that internal fire. That's like, Oh, you know, like you said, I'm not a good cook. Well, that's a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you're mm -hmm. not, you're, you're, you're you don't know how to cook right now. Exactly. Guess what? If I asked you to play the guitar, unless you know how to play the guitar, you're not going to be very good at it, but could you learn? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And that's the growth mindset. And so, um, why don't you give everybody here your contact information? Because I'm sure that this is going to get sent out to a, a bunch of people that, that are looking for someone like you or know someone that's looking for someone like you. Sure. My contact information is, um, I have a website, uh, Sheila Carol MD.com. Um, and the, through that, you can contact me via my email, which is just Sheila at Sheila Carol MD.com. Um, on that, I also have a free guide that's uh, 10 simple steps to helping your child achieve a healthy weight. It's kind of lifestyle advice. It's sleep, uh, you know, movement, screen time, nutrition. So um, the other thing I just, when you were, the last thing you were saying that I wanted to add in for people is that I think sometimes parents feel it's going to be so hard, so painful. It's going to be miserable and I'm not doing it, you know, <laughs> but I can tell you, it doesn't have to be that hard. It, it's not that painful, you know, and that's a mindset thing too. Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, once you make a few, make a little change and you see the benefit of it, then it gives you a little bit of momentum. So sometimes I see people just stagnant because they're afraid to try. Number one, they don't want to fail. They don't want to feel bad, um, but that's mindset stuff too that can be worked on, and um, and I, it's just not as hard as people think it is. I want to spell it out for everybody because I'll put it in the I'll put it in the podcast notes too. But it's s h e i l a c a r r o l l m d dot com. And do you have socials or anything where people oh, can yeah. follow what you're doing? I'm on Instagram. I think it's at Sheila Carol M D. Um, and I have a Facebook business page, which I'm just starting to get to use. Um, but you just email me Sheila at Sheila Carol MD.com. I'm happy to answer any personal questions people might, you know, or an in individual help, um, that people might be interested in. And I really just want parents to realize how powerful they can be for their child and empower the parents to take some action you know, because if you don't help your child, then it's just going to get kicked. The can's going to get kicked down the road um, or whatever expression that is. <laughs> I think it's something like that. Yeah. It's something like that. <laughs> Martin, you got anything else? Nope. I'm following right now. Oh, Excellent. thanks. 
uh, no, good stuff. Really appreciate your, your time and uh, yeah, it's really insightful. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me on and all the work that you're doing too. It's, it's excellent. Freeing really, isn't it? When you really understand where your power is and the choices that you can make and it sets you free. You don't have to live the life that you were previously living. And um, yeah, I just find it so powerful and freeing. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Shu.